0: Hello and welcome back to Sparkle Cast. This is episode number 7. It's Philip and I'm interviewing Brett Davis in this episode, the man of many faces, many voices, many characters and many ridiculous wigs. Brett is a consummate performer in New York City. He's got his own special on the m and network and oh my gosh, in this episode We learn some of his wisdom, whether it's not taking classes, but learning life by doing, as opposed to going to school, Um, the bullshit of beginner's mind, instead having opinions, having taste, pushing boundaries, and we just have a lot of dumb fun, culminating in a rapid-fire game of characters, 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 in which I ask Brett to play as many characters that he's created as he can in only a minute. Enjoy Sparkle Cast episode number seven. Hello everybody, welcome to Sparkle Cast. I'm Philip Markle Sparkle, and this is my guest today. This is Mr. Brett Davis. Oh, hello. Thank you for being here. Um, Brett, we were just talking about uh you run a well, you do many things. You are mm-hmm. a jack of all trades, a master of all jacks. Um what is uh if if you can give yourself a short little bio for our listeners, what would it be?
1: hmm well I would say uh, I <laughs> um, I started out in New Jersey opening for bands and kind of had a backdoor way into comedy I didn't really go through any of the theater systems nor did I like you know own my crafted open mics because I'm not really a stand-up um, I'm more of like a character performer yeah. Um, but yeah, I like I've been doing it for about ten years now, um, and I've made films and I do a lot of live shows. Some with like complicated
0: themes or names or uh, what you have did the you. First show ever at the Annoyance Theater, in New York, on yes. Friday nights at eight. No one remembers it. I remember it. Yes, it was called the five hundred thirty eighth. I think so. I, got, I think I got the
1: numbers wrong a couple if times, If I remember, too. like,
0: 538th Illuminati Orgy? Yes. That's right. Mm-hmm. And this was the first show we put up. People came in and saw a fog-filled theater. First fog machine use as well. You, you had a lot of firsts at the Annoyance. Yeah. Wearing a crazy mask, like Commedia dell'Arte like, mask. Or what? Uh, yeah, like a plague mask. A plague mask. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you were the master of ceremonies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, spanking your friend Darren on stage, sacrificing him. He was tied up. Yeah. Mostly naked. Mostly naked. Um, You were the master of evil, just getting over a breakup. It was one of the most psychotic things I'd ever seen, (laughs) and it was just perfect. It was a perfect way to start this, like, you know, screwball theater. Mm -hmm. Um, That was maybe the first time I got to know you, Mm -hmm. uh, or or through the alt-comedy scene or something, and then you hopped on board with that, Um, And now you do, you took over for Chris Gethard, who had a show, yeah, um, the Chris Gethard show, which is now the special without Brett Davis. Mm -hmm. And real quick, why without? What was that a play on?
1: Um, Well, I kind of wanted a quick way to explain that I'm not going to be like Chris Gethard, who is a personality and he's himself and maybe at times he's playing like a inflated version of himself in one way or another or a deflated, I guess for, uh, his, his persona. Um, but, uh, yeah, I wanted to make it known that like, if you watch the show, you'll never see me. You'll see like my different menagerie of wigs and accents and stuff. Uh, and then the first episode, the first thing that happens is, uh, like Chris Gethard introduces me and I come out and I start doing this heartfelt speech about why I'm so happy to be taking over his time slot and stuff, and uh, which is on public access on MNN. But most people watch it online. And I, uh, w- within like two sentences in, uh, somebody stands up and shoots me in the head. I was just going to say. Yeah. yeah. And then I, I die. And then there's scattering. And then the show starts and I come out as a character that's filling in last second for for Brett the deceased Brett and we're just going to move on. The show must go on. And there, and there it begins. Do yeah. you ever play yourself on stage? Uh, now, nowadays I do a little more, um, mostly at live shows. And then we've got this kind of
0: Brett Davis character that's on the show. Who is the, is this is feeling very Colbert to me, but like yeah. who is Brett Davis character?
1: Well, we did this whole like kind of meta arc like around like episode 50 or something where uh, I was like in the middle of an episode and um, there was some behind the scenes drama going on. And I uh, I ended up getting my show taken from me. We're doing a fake contract signing on the episode with our guest that week, who was Jesse Camp.
0: This was a big episode. This is where you confused a lot of people yeah. who really thought Jesse Camp had taken over and you had mm-hmm. quit in protest. I remember seeing this and thinking, oh, my God, what happened? And it was what this shit went down? really
1: convoluted like story that was like, oh, I had a rivalry with the producers and they ousted me from the show. And then I had this whole storyline that I played up on social media mm-hmm. and at, like shows and stuff. And even in person, like I kept it very like kayfabe uh if you know that term. I
0: don't. What's kayfabe?
1: Kayfabe is like in wrestling, let's say Hulk Hogan is wrestling Andre the Giant. Andre the Giant injures Hulk Hogan. Even though Hulk Hogan isn't really injured in real life, he's playing up the fact that he was injured on the show by like wearing a cast everywhere.
0: Okay, got or a it. Wrestling or something. Are you a wrestling fan? I am, yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. It's WWE now. Mm-hmm. Why did they change the F to the E? The F to the E, uh, there is the World Wildlife Foundation. Oh, for the animals?
1: Yeah. And I think they wanted to, it was the World Wrestling Federation. Yeah. So they changed it to the World Wrestling Entertainment also to kind of separate it from sports.
0: Wow. I wonder what the episode was like where they changed that.
1: Uh, it, it was
0: kind of quiet, I think. <laughs> In my head it's like a giant person and there's a letter E and the letter F and they fight and like one is like knocked to the death. Or is Jesse K contract signing and now you know F yeah. has to go fuck himself.
1: Actually now I do remember they had it was a, a woman gardening and she was cutting a, a big WWF like shaped uh uh, bush or shrub or something.
0: You remember this? Yeah. Oh, my God. Okay.
1: I, well, I And then somebody comes up with a flamethrower and lights it on fire, and it, then it becomes the WWE logo, and then it says,
0: get the F out. Get the F. Rock yeah. on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. Wow that's a great little story i was just thinking in my head how many stories you must have in your head you have the entire intergalactic history of the special with that brett davis yeah. all the plot lines you're like mm-hmm. a george lucas of the mind of it your is own
1: literally intergalactic now we do have <laughs> space themes that's
0: so cool like the only thing i can compare that to is that i when i was a kid when i was a kid i had a uh, a fantasy obsession Mm -hmm. and I loved the Lord of the Rings. And I even wrote a ripoff of the Lord of the Rings called the blue star about a blue necklace that turned a hobbit invisible. The hobbit's name was Farron and he had a female hobbit servant named Talon and a golem like creature that wanted the necklace back. I mean, this is, there's actually a fantasy novel I later learned called The Blue Star. but So I was obsessed with fan fiction. And I later learned that that was mostly plagiarism. But like, um, yeah, fan fiction. But what is it? Isn't? What is it? Everything's an homage. An homage yeah. these days, you know. And uh, How did you come up with the names of these characters? I always wonder that. Well, the wizard was named Sonotar. He mm-hmm. wrote a white steed named Diamond Dare. And I think I came up with these names... Drinking my juice box and just thinking, like, what sounds like Gandalf, like a Gandalf-y name. Mm-hmm. What sounds like Frodo, Farron, Samwise Gamgee, let's call her Talon. I mean, I don't know where these names came from. Sonotar, I definitely remember. Yeah, Sonotar, the white wizard on his white steed, Diamondaire. The writing is the most overwritten thing I've ever read in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember the opening line because I did it as a bit once. And it's, um, Farron the Hobbit looked out the window at the brightening skies of Tutamore. Tutamore was the brightest land in all the Cheshire, and the Cheshire was right in the center of center earth. (laughs) It's like every sentence (laughs) needs further explanation. Yes. And is a ripoff of Middle Earth, Shire, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Tutamore, I don't know. uh, Well, center earth center earth as opposed Uh to middle earth but i have this history in my head of that storyline and then what i still do i literally was as an exercise to fall asleep i still sometimes do this little trick i write stories in my head that are combinations of the worlds of lord of the rings narnia star wars star trek the matrix i have an intergalactic world of all how I've just combined these stories in my head. And Star Wars has the Old Republic, the New Republic, years. I have thousands of these stories in my head and I've shared them with no one. They are Mm -hmm. just for me. I pretend to be a Jedi to fall asleep. I make sounds in my head. Just my dog overhears it. This is why I can never have a lover because they'll think I'm batshit. I have all these stories in my head.
1: Well, this is good. I mean, at least you know if for some reason you're incarcerated indefinitely. (laughs) You'll have an exercise for yourself that you could just put these words on a paper. Yes. And then I, maybe, maybe
0: have a whole new career for yourself. Yeah. And finally get the novel, the fan fiction, the ultimate fan fiction novel of my life written in jail. Um, how do you, you're a busy guy. How do you fall asleep? How do you calm your brain down at night? Ooh, it's hard. That's something
1: I've always kind of struggled with. Cause I do wind up worrying about thing A or thing B or have some, uh, some tangent I I run down in my head and I do kind of have similar kind of worlds, although probably not as fleshed out as yours. Um,
0: probably also more original than mine though. Like there's a combination. I I don't know. I don't know.
1: (laughs) I, you could, you could pinpoint a lot of the characters, uh, what their inspirations are, um, sometimes, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, it is hard to
0: fall asleep. And can you nap? I'm bad at napping. I'm bad at napping, too. Yeah. I tell myself, don't try. It's too hard. I wish I could catnap. It'd be the best skill. I, I have friends that are way busier than I am, like, uh, and they rely on catnaps. They have a famous friend. like, He just gets by in 30-minute catnaps, and I'm mm-hmm. like, I can't even... Say the name. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my famous friend, Darren Chris, uh, Glee boy, the first okay. gay boy on Glee. He's not gay in real life, but he made gays cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember when he did... The first gay kiss on Fox, on Glee. Like, that,
1: was that was the first gay
0: kiss? For teenagers, uh, I think. It was like the first main, main, mainstream gay kiss between two teenage boys. Mm-hmm. And it I was like Al Bundy and <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> whatever. I was teaching, though, and I taught a third grader, and she knew that I was friends with Darren. And she came up to me after class, and she said, I really hope he gets to have a boyfriend and it was amazing to me that a little girl wanted my friend to be gay. Mm-hmm. Growing up, teased mercilessly, fag this, fag that. Like I couldn't imagine that kids, before they grew up and got smart and liberal, uh, would appreciate gay people. It was mind blowing. Yeah, I want this Glee character to be gay. Mm-hmm. So that's how that's how worlds change, tides turn.
1: I mean, yeah, I think once you if you grow up with it and it's not a weird thing. Uh, you know, it's, it's just, you know, as it's like when you see kids using cell phones and stuff, it's like, or that video of the little kid looking at a magazine, trying to swipe it. Yes. <laughs> yeah.
0: I don't know. It's just like those a, old this. videos of kids trying to use game boys or something. And like, what is this archaic technology? Mm-hmm. Um, I have a family question for you. You said, you told me earlier that you grew up in Jersey. Yes. Do you have, cause this is. Thanksgiving's coming up. We're mm-hmm. recording this just a week or two before Thanksgiving. We're all going to be going home. Trump has just become the president elect. Do you have people in your family that are racist that didn't raise their kids to love gay characters on glee? what, hmm. are, you, what are you is your relationship to your family?
1: I mean my uh, my mom, I think she's been Republican, but uh, has always kind of taught me otherwise um no it has taught me to be you know very respectful and stuff and kind of integrated me into you know areas where i was maybe the only white kid at times or uh things like that um
0: do you know she voted for trump i haven't broached the subject you did not so this is the other thing yeah. confrontation mm-hmm. do we have a duty to broach the subject given yeah. the situation
1: i mean i honestly haven't talked to her enough lately which is on me <laughs> to hit that subject but it is a little uh i am nervous to bring it up because um, i don't want to lose respect for her however
0: i think i think that she might have voted for hillary i don't know we don't know I, yeah. I i never talked to my dad about how he voted against or what was it, for Prop 8 in California that banned gay marriage for a little while in California. Yeah. And I remember he had said he might do it. And I think he did. I think he believed that marriage was traditional mm-hmm. and at the time I didn't have the balls to say something. I'll also share a story that with my uncle Craig, who mm-hmm. is uh, the Republican in my family, um, 2004, I had just come out of the closet, knew Fierce Philip that year a tsunami hit indonesia my Mm -hmm. mom got very drunk at thanksgiving and said that all those people died because they didn't believe in christ and that's why a tsunami hit them Mm -hmm. situation escalated my sister stood up at the table and said this is outrageous how dare you you know you're not a true you're not a true religious person My aunt says, everyone, stop picking on your mother. She's good. She can drink if she wants to. Let her be (laughs) alone. My uncle is saying, you know, libtards this, libtards that. Like, liberals can't respect people with their fundamental beliefs. You know, you don't respect religion. And then out of nowhere, my aunt points to me, stands up, and says, we all know what's really going on here. It's because he's gay and no one's talking about it. Hmm. And my reaction in that moment to that direct confrontation was to get up out of my seat, go to the piano, and start playing Claire de Lune by Debussy okay. <laughs> as a way to appease the situation. Yeah. That is how I have dealt with confrontation. It's a beautiful and song. It's my, my mom's, mom's favorite. favorite song. My mom's favorite song, too. <laughs> I, I was just know. about to say that. Wow. Um. Yeah, I guess
1: mom's like that.
0: Mom's <laughs> like Claire de Lune. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, were you, were you being
0: civil this whole time and then said nothing yeah I and then defend myself and then it's your fault <laughs> and then it's my fault because i'm the one who has caused all this tension because i came out so ever since that moment i've never had a direct confrontation politically with anyone in my family and now i'm going home for thanksgiving and i don't think i can let myself off the hook anymore yeah um Thankfully, I'm not going home this Thanksgiving. Oh! Uh, I'm going home for the first time in a while, too.
1: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's another thing. I I mean, not that I think it would be a huge issue. I mean, my siblings are pretty liberal, despite how maybe one of them has voted in the past. Uh, um, But, you know, I don't think there's anything hateful. Maybe aunts and uncles, maybe that's where it gets a little fuzzy, but I don't really talk politics with them.
0: Yeah,
1: um, but yeah, it's it's such a tough time. I keep hearing all like these stories about really good good friends of mine that are like having these family you know things happening that are just like based off of this one election, uh, and it seems worse than it's ever been.
0: Than it's ever been. Yeah. Now you, Chris Gathered, came back to host his show mm-hmm. on election night, and you were a guest performer that yeah. night. And I was tuning in and out, and I was, especially at the beginning of the day, people looked a combination of bored or they knew where it was going, uh, having fun, but kind of like there wasn't really much drama in the room. Yeah. And then as the night went on, we all know mm-hmm. got more and more unlikely Hillary Clinton was going to win. The New York Times predictability meter went from ninety five percent Clinton win to ninety five percent Trump. I mean, outrageous. Yeah. Maybe it was like 89% before for Clinton. Outrageous fuck-up. there's something with that meter. <laughs> I know. Well, they got it so wrong. It was yeah. like betting on I've been mean, like 85% to the opposite 95 This is outrageous. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remember watching the needle just going, going, going. So you walk on, and you're going to play a character. Take us through the moment, what you were doing, and what time of the night it was. Um, well, I had a... Uh... I had just gotten back
1: home, and I was, like, kind of unpacking and stuff from a trip I took, and uh, I was watching the coverage myself, and I started calling in as pretending to be just some person watching, calling in, doing a bit. Uh, My name is Radisson, and I'm from Party Town, USA. Uh, It's Radisson with two Ds and two Ss sounds just like the hotel (laughs) um and that's it like that's all it it went and then i kind of like flushed it out a little bit but really didn't stray far from that dumb idea it's like i'm a guy that talks like this and i want to come over there and shake my tushy (laughs) It's like where's party town usa pittsburgh uh and yeah it was like a one-note joke and i kept calling in throughout the day um and Gethard, who has been stressed out lately. Like it's a call so early set him off immediately. And then every time I called, it was like the show has hit a new low that this guy keeps getting through. Um, so I called about, uh, four times the last and every time saying by the end of the night, everybody's going to love Radisson. (laughs) (laughs) And then he's like, I know I'm seeing the studio audience here all vehemently shaking their heads. Uh, by the end of it and call for shannon o'neill was giving radisson pointers on how to be a better character (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
0: shannon o'neill is the artistic director of the upright citizens brigade empire yeah wow so you got some notes i got some notes uh she gave me a catchphrase
1: which was kiss my tushy okay uh and then uh i kind of let it be known to like some of the producers i'm like hey by the way, I'm Radisson and i had gotten these like lime green Nike's and like lime green Zubaz pants and a shirt that says don't hate me cuz I'm flawless. <laughs> <laughs> and like a hat and sunglasses and I was just like very like it was like a LMFAO nightmare sort yes. of looking guy and uh I'm like, "Oh, this is I'm going to do my dumb bit and it's I'm going to like moonwalk in there and shake my tushy <laughs> like I promised." And then, uh, Gethard had brought on this guy, Tim Dillon, who is a more conservative guy, um, like Long Island gay guy that, uh, is like, I guess pro-Trump. I don't, I don't know exactly where he leans, but, uh,
0: that's just horrifying to me. Gay pro-Trump. I, I don't mean to interrupt.
1: No, no. I mean, I, I, yeah, I don't know exactly where he falls, but he, he is more conservative and, uh, kind of an anomaly, and I think that's why Gethard likes him. Also, he's very funny, like yeah. stand up. Um, but he was getting into it with one of the other people, Jackie Jennings, um, who's obviously not conservative, and they were kind of getting like heated. And uh, then they were like, "Oh, okay," uh, and this is I'll I'll say nine forty five. Uh, so
0: the returns coming in Florida hasn't been called yet, but it's not able to be called. Ohio's leading Trump, if I remember correctly. Yeah, we're the, just a little on the edge of our seats. Mm-hmm.
1: I was seeing Jenna Friedman exit the show, and we were talking, and she she was she's somebody that's been following this very closely. Has been going to all the rallies and stuff, and uh, she she looked uh, nervous, and I was like, oh, she's nervous. <laughs> then maybe things are not so great. So I kind of tried to tune it out. And then uh, I, they, they, there's this argument happening and then they're like, okay, are you, are you ready to go on? I'm like, yeah, sure. And then I came on as Radisson, <laughs> the dumbest guy ever. Uh, he, he didn't, he had no political opinion because he didn't want to split his audience. <laughs> uh, got everybody to do the Radisson, which is his own little Urkel what, dance.
0: Can you do, give us like the uh, Macarena instructions? Oh, for yeah. The it's uh, right now, verbal, so people, we can all <laughs> pretend to dance it.
1: Let me see if I can remember it. Um, Uh, uh man i'm blanking i'm blanking um
0: electric slide would be a better thing than macarena i get yeah one it was, hop this it was time. like an
1: electric slide sort of thing it was like uh uh squat your knees and stick out your butt move your hips from side to side shake your tushy all night something like that <laughs> it's like that was fun let's do some more put your tushy close to the floor <laughs>
0: And did you come up with this dance on the way there? you you been thinking of the Radisson forever?
1: It, it was another bit that I kind of uh, changed some of the words for uh, to make it Radisson's thing, but I, now it's totally Radisson's. <laughs> it's I Radisson, think. yeah. Uh, not that I think I'll ever do Radisson again, but uh, yeah, I think... And then <laughs> it was just the perfect palate cleanser uh, for the moment, because I think it was just so stupid. Uh, but then... I sat down on the panel and more results came in and then it's, Oh yeah. And then it was all bad news. And I was like, this is Radisson's time to go. <laughs> and I, I immediately hopped in a cab and went to my girlfriend's house to, cause I didn't want to be at a comedy show while the apocalypse was happening.
0: Yeah. You were the last breath of air before mm-hmm. it all went South. The, uh, what was I going to say? I just lost my train of thought. Um, I, I uh, was watching it with college friends mm-hmm. And yeah, seeing the room turn so sour it was so sad um, We had a prayer circle to like Send love to Ohio Like, I mean, Jesus Christ mm-hmm. And then just, you know, the frequency of smoke breaks Gradually increasing and increasing um, And then I brought Xanax and there they were Everyone taking Xanax together Like, I brought it as a joke I put them next to the hot dogs Like, on, yeah. the, on the stand Like, some Xanax if you need it, everyone It's gonna <laughs> be a party Oh, uh, what a night. We'll never forget that night.
1: Oh, yeah. It, yeah. Uh, terrible. And then I was in such depression for the next few days, uh, as I think
0: everybody was. Mm-hmm. Felt like 9, 12 on the trains and stuff and on the streets. There is such a need for smart comedy and smart incisive comedy. But there's also the power of stupid, dumb fun. Mm-hmm. I think about that at the annoyance all the time. Smart, dumb fun, where it's... Yeah. It's, it's uh It's ridiculously not taking itself seriously but it's super committed it's just almost like pure lizard brain like this is just real dumb and I'm having fun and you can't help but be
1: moved by it yeah I mean I think that's uh, when the annoyance opened up shop and you know these guys were uh, and gals were you know doing the I guess style that came up in chicago i think it was everybody in new york really took notice hard because it was like oh this is totally breaking down the ucb pit style of like sketch improv etc like and yeah they're they're some of my favorites yeah
0: when i talk about it i usually use the word curveball in that uh going so say there's a game to a scene and a pattern happening intentionally break it intentionally mm-hmm. keep the audience guessing what's next that's my favorite type of comedy where i am sitting there slack-jawed and i do not know what's coming next truly and i cannot wait to see it um and it's not just random for the sake of being random it's just i can't put my finger on where it's going it's like a live wire yeah that's my favorite type of comedy
1: same like i i like uh i mean there there's nothing wrong with a perfectly planned uh, set where all the jokes make sense and stuff. But I am personally, like when I do a show, I do a lot of standup shows where sometimes it can feel very like rehearsed and, you know, and and once again, there's nothing wrong with like a well plotted, like standup set, but like all I want to do sometimes is just really, turn the show upside down and like put it on, put it on his head and like Light do it my on set for a little bit. Yeah. Oh, I've started many fires at my shows. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. I, I have a, I had a show called the lethal lottery, uh, which has been on hiatus for a while, but it's like, uh, a lot of it is me fighting Darren. Who's my like, regular kind of writing partner. The guy you tied up in the Illuminati orgy. Exactly. Audience, yes. And like, we would keep trying, like we'd always start the show off with like some big moment <laughs> to really set the tone for the night. So like one of them was, uh, I went to a magic shop and I got those fireballs.
0: Oh my God. <laughs> the ones that, uh, described for us, it's like a flash paper sort of thing. Uh-huh, and you just uh-huh. light
1: it and it like makes this huge, like flame that looks
0: like it's just shooting out of your hand. Yeah, and uh, I just realized, by the way, that I've been saying describe for us. Can you tell us? And that is actually making me feel like I'm Gollum. <laughs> to call that back, who is your Gollum? Who is my alter ego, uh, my yeah. Gollum? So if I'm Philip, mm-hmm. well, if you're going to use the name of this Sparkle cast, I guess I'd be Philip Sparkle on the one hand.
1: Well, I was, I was referencing your your center Earth world was oh, there a gollum stand up
0: was a gollum character and i mm-hmm. don't remember that i've got to go back uh, and do my research the uh, it's saved as fantasy.doc on my computer i still have it mm-hmm. it's one of the most like prized possessions yeah uh, i got to i got to figure that out okay yeah there's a dwarf and an elf of course uh, <laughs> <laughs> it is just a mirroring of it i remember taking it to my local librarian i printed it out it was 28 single spaced pages and it's not even like nearly done yeah. uh, on word and and she had to call my parents in for a meeting and be like, your son is plagiarizing, and we're, we don't want to discourage him as a writer. But she had to teach me. I learned very early what plagiarism was. Uh-huh. Wow. Like, come up with your own ideas. They're great. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I teach writing to kids and stuff, so... <laughs> um, where were we? I... I uh, oh, yeah. Okay. Wait. There's go- the Gollum. We explain... We... I interrupted you because I was using my <laughs> referring to myself in the third person no the us person Mm -hmm. we fourth person what's we i you've lost me first person plural second person lyle's holding up two fingers second person is that right lyle i think so second person first person
1: plural or second person plural or maybe i was just holding up the peace sign
0: yeah i I don't i did not pay
1: attention in english class me either did you get good grades when you were growing up uh in in no (laughs) I I think in English I always did Uh, anything that was sort of creative I would get good grades in but math science no yeah I did
0: pre-calc and I don't remember how to do long division now I don't know what pre calc is. <laughs> I don't really either. It was just overachieving, Markle. Like, I've got to take this, got to take AP hist, you know, got to. I did AP French and I got a three. And I remember it was like legitimately as close as I've come to failing on a big test like that. Mm-hmm. Massive panic because I'm such an anxious person at times. But I cannot do long division now. Yeah. Give me a piece of paper. I would just reach for my phone. It's funny how stupid I've gotten about like arithmetic, mm-hmm. but I took pre-calc at one point. Where does all that go in your brain? I, I think it just flushes out the toilet. I mean, I think and that's,
1: that's why in my career I've avoided classes and stuff. Uh, I, I don't mind workshops. Um, however, any, anything that feels like
0: school, I kind of run for the hills a little bit. You're a man that learns life by doing. Yeah. Yes. I couldn't abhor the idea of going back to grad school Mm -hmm. and writing papers for no reason. The idea is shocking to me. Terrible. Yeah. I would want to do things that are going to add up at this point to the time I have left on earth. No, but like to like, uh, to, to learn by doing, I want to create and I want to be able to use what I create and I don't want to just arbitrarily have to take a class. I'm not caring about like I wasted so much time taking these classes freshman, sophomore year of college that I got shut out of maybe the one I really wanted. So here I am taking like Anthro one hundred and one. Mm-hmm. Didn't even show up to most of the classes. It's like that is and it it's a, literally a
1: huge waste of money. Yeah, I mean, I think every, I think there's a whole college revolution. I think that needs to happen. That's you know, I don't know what what's that school where you can kind of choose of your rock? major.
0: Uh, I I I don't know. There's the ones for the children, the mm-hmm. Montessori. Yeah, the, the I don't
1: know. It, you should just be able to choose your own major and focus on the classes and be guided instead of just like, oh, well, you got to take this dumb thing because that's a prereq. And yeah, I don't know.
0: I taught uh fifty college kids improv mm-hmm. on a Saturday morning at eleven. Just real quick, what time do you think the first person walked in? Uh, I'm there at ten forty. Mm-hmm. I'm a professional adult. Say eleven oh five. You're absolutely right. Some poor mm-hmm. straggling girl, half her makeup on, walks in. You know the other like she's like 2 faced, like she's like putting on. You know it's like where is everyone? Fifty people show up. Eleven thirty. Eleven forty five. I am so outraged i mm-hmm. don't know why i'm like i forget what it's like to be a college kid and hung over and like i can't yeah. get my ass to the improv class but i had like had thought about that class and maybe i'm like i'm not i'm not a kid anymore i'm an adult we're like this isn't cute anymore it's mm-hmm. not cute to be unprofessional um when everyone i know works so hard to do anything yeah i guess they were paying me so why did i have an opinion on it it's like i'm getting paid either way yeah well i mean having an opinion on it is the right thing to have yeah Something else I noticed was that their improv was so much less complicated. Like, they laughed at things that I don't find funny anymore, only because, like, the idea of crazy space aliens walking into a scene right off the bat isn't necessarily funny to me. Mm -hmm. But they were not as jaded or as, like, needing things to be complicated as I was and i'm watching their scenes and i'm thinking oh i don't know if this is very funny but they're all laughing and they don't even know each other so who am i to say that experience makes me wiser beginner's mind right where Mm -hmm. the less you say you know about something the more open you are it just occurred to me that like the more i do this comedy thing maybe the less i know that was a thought i had there
1: yeah i mean i think there's something to deconstruction (laughs) uh However, I don't know if I'm totally... I don't know. The, the, I'm not into the beginner's mind idea. You're not. Okay, let's yeah. talk about
0: that. Okay. Beginner's mind, you do not like.
1: No, I think there's something uh, worthwhile to have having the experience uh, in a thing and being a little jaded, because I think that's what leads to the new frontiers in arts and stuff. You know, like... Uh, kind of put pushing the boundaries wouldn't happen if everybody had beginner's mind. Mm-hmm. And and it's sometimes pushing the boundaries is going back to, you know, ripping it up and starting again.
0: Yeah. And it also is how you get taste. Mm-hmm. You only get to taste your taste by tasting things. Yeah. I like this comedy. I don't like this. I like this style. I like this alternative. Taste. And there's that great quote by um, This American Life that yeah. your journey is often that you know what your taste is, but your talent isn't quite up to there. Mm-hmm. Iridescent, you know, <laughs> and so your journey as a comedian or whatever you're going to do is to get your performance level up to your taste. And they say ten thousand hours. How many episodes you've produced at this point? How many have you produced of the special? Do you think? Uh, I think we're
1: inching towards
0: eighty and you've produced hundreds of shows outside of that. Yeah. You have put in so much time. Mm-hmm. What have you learned? Um I've
1: learned that there's still always more to learn. If that's not a, a stupid answer to that. Uh I you know, you learn how fickle audiences can be. Uh how one person could kind of change the tone of a thing sometimes accidentally. Uh, and they don't necessarily need to be the person on stage. Um, you know, you kind of learn how to dig yourself out of holes sometimes. Sometimes you learn that there's no digging yourself out of a hole. Um, yeah, you just kind of learn different ways to
0: handle problems when you're on stage. I think, um, what is the most in the vein of this, uh, podcast? What's the most authentically heartfelt moment you've ever had on stage? Hmm.
1: I don't. I don't know. Well,
0: uh, one one that pops to mind.
1: I wouldn't say it's the uh, perfect answer to your question, but I was doing a show in Denver, and I was hosting it. And uh, you know, sometimes I'll host a show, and it's like, okay, I'm doing my character thing, but I'm still at service to the show, and I'm not gonna like hog the spotlight or anything, but. They were like, no, we want you to host like a Brett Davis style show. So that was cool that they had the faith in me that like, that doesn't mean I'm going <laughs> to ruin it for everyone else. But it was mostly a show with people I didn't know or people I was just meeting that weekend because it was at a f- festival. Uh, but I I did a thing where I found uh, a person on stage and I do this bit where I'm like kind of build up to kissing an audience member and usually nine 99 times out of a hundred it never happens um and i don't want it to happen <laughs> uh but in this like the girl was just so shy and i started interviewing her and her boyfriend and uh i was like all right why don't you two kiss and then they wouldn't do it and then the whole like kind of game of the rest of the show was finding different ways to get them to kiss uh and, like, like sort of setting up all these, like, uh, scenarios where it would—the next thing that would make sense would be for them to kiss. Um, so every—like, in between every act, it was just like, okay, planning mode again, planning mode. And I finally did this thing where— I got them both like blindfolded and like walking towards each other. It was like the the most <laughs> convoluted thing, but finally they kissed on stage and it was like this big moment for everybody. And it was like nobody knew me in the audience. Nobody knew me that was like really performing on the show except for like maybe one or two people. Those people certainly didn't know me, so uh to kind of win everybody over with like this real emotional moment that I very much concocted. <laughs> uh felt felt really nice. Yeah.
0: I love the room of strangers. Mm-hmm. I think it's a true testament to your abilities of like you can walk in and know no one and no. can you still create a moment mm-hmm. um, entertaining heartfelt whatever it is that is my favorite thing yeah um, I did a storytelling thing with the uh, with the moth that has this open mic thing just walked in number got chosen, had the whole place in hysterics like that was a life affirming moment in ways that performing for people that I already know and like and like me hasn't been for a long time mm-hmm. um. I was going to ask, you know, you're talking to these two lovers. Have you ever... You you can not answer if you don't want to, but have you ever had a threesome with someone? Uh, No, I haven't. Okay. I've done it once. (laughs) Okay. um, With two guys after Halloween we went back from Anderson Cooper's boyfriend's club love gun that's what it was <laughs> okay. called so it was a really shitty horrible experience with a giant cover charge and everyone was in a bad mood mm-hmm. but my experience that was so interesting is like if you're not equally attracted to both people it creates a real problem yeah because like I just was attracted to one of the two really and the one I wasn't attracted to got defensive and started playing director and was like okay now you know you, you kiss him and no, no I I suck you and like no we're, we're all gonna go take a shower now everyone in the shower yeah like that was how he responded to it and like three people in a shower is like truly hell freezing over it's Mm -hmm. just the worst experience i think i've ever had in my life two people in a shower alone is terrible
1: yeah i mean on paper it it sounds great it's like the coolest thing you could do uh but i think the logistics the logistics of it have always frightened me and i'm not like the, the most uh just like laissez-faire kind of guy. It's just like, yeah, let's just do this. And I don't know. It's like, Oh, well, how do you do the approach? And you know, how would you convince it? And, I don't think I'd ever want to do it with a, someone. I'm like a relationship guy. I tend to be, so I I wouldn't want to like ruin that. I don't know. Yeah,
0: yeah. There's so many things, so many Fabergé eggs mm-hmm. to be broken. Exactly. Um, I did the stereotypical turning a, a straight guy gay. Uh, a 22 year old nice. guy on a boat. Nice. I was working on an NCL cruise ship mm-hmm. um, Christmas party this guy his name was Simba his name was not Simba but I only remember his name is Simba because he had to wear a name tag because he worked in the children's department Uh and so they had to go by a Disney name while they were working on the ship (laughs) so I fucked Simba and turned him into a gay yeah (laughs) but um he, it, it was honestly terrible. It was like having sex with like a baby. That's never mind. That's a terrible metaphor. But like, like it was, it was the worst sex I've ever had in my life. It was a disaster. And then he wouldn't stop calling my satellite phone for like the rest of the cruise contract. So I couldn't mm-hmm. get rid of Simba. After I was like, this is not as hot as the fantasy. Yeah. Um, so that's that's the uh, last straight guy ever turned gay. Now I'm like, if you are not reciprocating, I am not interested. I will not chase people anymore. Mm-hmm. And my love life is, is not relationship. You're just saying you've been in relationships your whole life. I've never, like, my
1: longest relationship. I wouldn't relationship, say I've been in relationships my whole life. But okay. uh, I, I'm, I'm not so much for casual dating. That's all I do. Yeah.
0: I've never had a relationship over four months, I think. Oh, I know and it's getting worrisome. I'm 30. Mm -hmm. It's like, what's wrong? Why do I keep finding new shiny objects or something? Mm -hmm. So you can be my therapist if you want right now. What do you do when you get into that first moment where you've been dating someone enough to get to know them? And then there's things that start irking you about them. And Philip might find reasons to write them off or to make justification for why it's not working. What do you do when you hit that, that first moment of like, ugh? this person i'm getting to know them more i mean
1: typically that's a good sign and you should like i, I it, it all depends on you know how big of a thing it will be um and i don't think you'll ever know exactly but t- sometimes those things that are small annoyances a year from then will be the the bane of your existence as in a bad thing or a good thing? As in a bad thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, I don't know. I, I, I dated a girl once and I think she was a little, she just kind of keep keep things close to her chest. And I was like, that's cool. You know, you want to have your own like deal? That's fine. And then by the end of it, I was like, I was becoming a monster because I was like, always paranoid about what she was keeping close to her chest and stuff. Uh, And maybe I should have just followed my instinct at first. To be like, maybe this isn't... Maybe I I want somebody that's going to be more open about things.
0: Yeah. I don't necessarily trust my instincts anymore because they keep resulting in me not ever having a relationship. Mm -hmm. But um, it's hard when your body... like This person definitely bores me. I've gotten to know them for four months now and like my body is not feeling interest. Do you listen to your instincts at that point and do what I normally do, which is cut and run and be honest. I'm always honest about them, but I'm honest and sort of a, this is over way versus maybe like, I've never had the courage to come up to say someone mid annoying moment and confront them mm-hmm. or not confront them but be like, that's really annoying to me. I generally just back off. And so maybe I need to get more honest
1: yeah, I think that's that's a thing. I think in my latest relationship, I've been more vocal about things that kind of get me. And it's an uncomfortable moment uh, in in the moment. But, you know, if that's not a deal breaker for them, then it's like, oh, we've cleared another level of, you know, understanding one You've another. have
0: reached another level on yeah. the, the relationship ladder. I had a friend that didn't vote in this last election mm-hmm. who's now been passionately anti-Trump. And I haven't confronted her about the fact that she didn't vote. Mm-hmm. It's like, what gives you the right? And yeah. I, I'm angry about it, but I'm also like, just again, I'm afraid of confrontation. Mm-hmm. Interesting.
1: Well, you know, that, uh, that, that lack of voting might inspire her to make more change. Yeah. Or, you know, just more complacency. Who knows? We'll see. Yeah.
0: Well, something that we always heighten to on Sparklecast uh, that we end on is a game. And mm-hmm. I've got a game for you, Brett. Okay. Uh, the game is called Characters, 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 because you've had a million things that you've done. Okay. From our uh, uh, your your shows and your specials and your election night camaraderies, and uh, I'd love to see you play just as many character one-liners as we can get through in the next minute and a half. Um, you can use. Yeah. No.
1: Okay. I will say,
0: uh, and this will
1: this has always been a sore subject because a lot of uh the way comedy especially the comedy i do is judged by short form
0: uh-huh.
1: <laughs> whereas a lot of my characters take about 20 minutes to get to the punchline sometimes yes uh,
0: and so, i'm the least punchline person in the world i don't yeah. get punchlines i don't even think in terms of jokes yeah. it's all character and point of view So, I guess it's not about that. It's more just how many different voices can Brett Davis make in the next 90 seconds.
1: Okay. Uh, Will you do me a favor and just say next? Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, I've got the episode guide for the special because I think if I did anything else, I would lose my mind and get distracted. Oh, no. I lost it. Hold on. Hold on. We're
0: allowing him. Mm -hmm. We, me and Gollum Philip, are (laughs) allowing him to use IMDb. Okay. And we're... Beginning characters, characters, characters The Brett Davis game in 3, 2
1: Uh, hello My name is John Gentle I'm an adjunct poetry professor In uh, several liberal arts colleges All across the tri-state area And, uh Next Hey man, it's your high flying red blood American spitfire baby face with a heart of gold, feet too fast, catch a Kentucky Fried flying form, him. Then I can right next to you a smile little brick glass iron and build little pieces, baby man. I'm Kentucky Fried. I'm rock and roll personified. I'm Bobby Blaze, baby. And I'm here to talk to Mr. Oak Tree Lee. Now, Oak Tree Lee, uh, you're going to be stepping in the square circle with the Southern Spitfire Thanks. and I. Hey man, what's up? It's Freshy Freshy, man. <laughs> People always say, "Yo, Freshy Freshy." Why they call you Freshy 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 Freshy? I always say, "Cause we." <laughs> Next, hey, what's up, slobs? You got your knobs tuned to Vic and the Boose on WQEF the Queef, and uh, Next. we. <laughs> Sorry if I can't say Queef.
0: You can say whatever you want
1: Mm, My name is Sweet Daddy Long Legs And I am a villain (laughs) You know what I'm saying I love sweets I am sex And I am
0: bad baby
1: (laughs) What's up My name is Craig Uh, They call me the Prince of Punk I'm a punk poet Punk prophet Uh, I'm the original angry young man Next. Um, uh, uh, my name
0: is Cult Dracula, and I am the Prince of Darkness. Next.
1: Um, I am the Grand Inquisitor, leader of an ancient tribe of the world elite known as the the great darkness. I'm getting my characters confused. We could
0: end on that one because that's Illuminati orgy. That's Illuminati
1: orgy. First character at the Annoying Theater. We got to episode 10. Wow.
0: (laughs) So 40 more to go. Yeah. Oh. Some of them come back. Some of them come back. They have arcs you can follow. That character you first, I first heard you do it fall of 2014. And now here we are. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just been so great to have you on today And get to know you better, Brett Oh, my pleasure Yeah, yeah. and uh, people can check out your show every
1: It's Wednesday. You can watch it live Wednesdays at 11 online uh, If you look up the special without Brett Davis Or you could, uh watch the episodes on YouTube whenever
0: And Brett Davis is everywhere in the comedy scene At The Annoyance uh, He does a Little Lottery, other variety shows all over town Check him mm-hmm. out yeah. You got a Tumblr, right? Yeah, brettdavis.tumblr.com Sweet Thank you, Brett. And uh, uh, let's just end with um, a final impression, if you would. I'd love Mm -hmm. to hear your inner golem. Um. Hey, everybody, it's me. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Okay, well, I think the question I have for everyone is, who is your inner golem? (laughs) That was so much fun, and I'm so grateful that I got to interview Brett. You can check out Brett Davis' stuff at brettdavis.rip. Yes, that is rest in peace, brettdavis.rip. He's a funny guy, what can you say? Uh, Next SparkleCast, I interviewed Doug Wydick, who was one of the first people I met as a performer in New York City. We are on a team called Happy Karaoke Fun Time Together, a musical improv show. So check back next Wednesday for SparkleCast number eight.